Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to the Fabulously Keto Podcast. This is episode 63. And today we're interviewing Susie Edge. Jackie and I had the pleasure of meeting Susie at for face-to-face at a PHC conference, and that was in London. And we also got to know Susie through various other social media and podcasts with our good friend Daisy Brackenhall on the Keto Woman podcast, as well as Susie had her own podcast for a short time. Yeah, I listened to all of hers. Yeah, and heard her on Keto Woman podcast. So good. And so we, and we, sat, was really... we sat next to her. At, well, we were all in the same row right next to each other with Lisa Bailey um, when we were at the PHC conference. So we were all sitting together. Yep. Yeah, and Daisy Brackenhall as well. So we had, it was a bit of a gaggle, <laughs> a gaggle of the, certainly through the three Daisy's group, we, Obviously, all got to meet um, each other, so there, that was a really good um, a good time. So it was really good to see Susie because, obviously, you know, it's one of those things about you build up a persona of the social media profile person, and you know, really great to see how genuine and authentic that individual is. The persona matches what you see on online, and this was shortly after she had broken her arm, which we'll hear more about in the interview. So Jackie, why don't you tell us some more about Susie? Susie Edge trained as a molecular biologist before moving to medicine, where she became interested in trauma and orthopedic surgery and pre-hospital emergency care, something she has in common with Louise. After becoming somewhat disillusioned with medicine and the NHS, she did a master's degree in modern history and during lockdown, started to make medical and human body history content on social media, particularly on TikTok, where she has gained 197,000 interested followers. She has recently signed a publishing deal for her first non-fiction book and writes fiction in her spare time. Susie became interested in low-carbon keto after years of not understanding how diet and exercise were not helping her achieve her sporting goals. She's especially interested in how online communities can help each other with their goals and fight off the dangerous onslaught of farmer-backed government policies. Susie is a keen martial artist, something she has in common with Jackie, and has a senior brown belt in her current discipline of Su Yang Do, a derivative of Taekwondo. Susie lives in Scotland with her husband and two teenage girls, and their Spaniel Scout. 
Welcome, Susie, to the Fabulous Aikido podcast. It's fabulous to have you on today. It's fabulous to be here both. I've, I've said so long ago that I'd come and have a chat and it's taken forever to get round to it. So I'm, uh, I'm chuffed we finally got there. Yeah, it's good. It, as, I, as I said before, offline that, you know, everything happens for a reason and you've got more to tell us now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Years worth, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do like to sort of make sure that, you know, our guests are well prepared. And um, we normally start with the question, where in the world are you? I am in the Highlands of Scotland. Uh, it's a lovely warm day, surprisingly. Everyone expects me to be in a woolly hat, but no, it's, a, it's, it's all right today. Good. And the last time we actually all three of us were in the same room together was at the PHC conference back in 2019. That's yeah. correct, yes. Yeah. We were all sitting together, weren't we? It was 2019, wasn't it? I was... Um, I was telling you stories about things that happened in 2018 earlier, thinking that was before that, but I've got, got myself all in a pickle with times. But yeah, it seems, it seems like so much has happened since then. That was a really good conference. It was very good. It was a great conference. And, um, yeah, it was, it was actually a real pleasure to certainly be able to, you know, to be in the room with those like-minded people, you know, and it's so welcoming, such a, a warm, welcoming community. And I think we've taken advantage of that online lately, but I'd really like to be able to do it again at some point, you know, get back together and, I don't know, there's, there's something about being in person, isn't there? It, that's exactly right. So a lot has happened since 2019 when we were all at the conference. So why don't you bring us up to speed? Well, I think back then, back then, it sounds like I'm talking decades, but it feels like decades sometimes, doesn't it? Um Back then, things were going really, really well for me in terms of my um, health journey, my low-carb journey, fitness and what have you. I had broken my arm before that point, so um, I was in a bit of a pickle uh, because of the, I mean, the nature of having to go into hospital and have an operation and have antibiotics and all those things that do affect you. Um, I've been really thrown off course with that. But um, since then, I've been, I've been really up and down with my journey. I was saying before... Um, before we came on air that I had a I think that what I've done over the years which has been the worst thing that I could have done was to say to myself every weekend look Monday I'm going to start again I'm going to go low carb I'm going to cut out the seed oils everything's going to be wonderful and by Wednesday Thursday it's all gone a bit wrong because well for a lot of reasons I could probably get um and I've and I've raided the bread bin and I think doing that half-hearted kind of keto is probably the worst thing you can do and over the time my weight my fat percentage has gone up and I've become more and more you know finding things difficult getting aches and pains and just niggly and generally being unhappy about it all as my weight went up and up and up um so 2020 hit, hit me hard I'm not going to deny it it was tough um we lost my dad just at the beginning of the lockdown which sent me into a bit of a spiral um, and then just the dealing with 2020 was hard for us. And I hated being at home trying to train on Zoom. I hated all that. I wasn't very good at it. Um, and I came out the end of that thinking, got to do something about this. So not that long ago, I reached out to an online community, UK Low Carb, and said, look, guys, I need some help here. I'm struggling. And I think actually that was all I needed to do. The comments in the reply were brilliant. But I think all I needed to do was just sort of 
flick a switch. And since then I have done and things are on the road to being really good again. How did you start your low carb journey? Back in, in the, the beginning. beginning. In the beginning mm. I was, so I, I worked uh, originally as a, I trained originally as a molecular biologist and then studied medicine uh, straight after that. And when I was working as a junior doctor in, in 2006, I guess it was, um, so mid, my mid twenties, uh, I, I, I don't know if that's right. <laughs> I can figure that out now since so long ago. Um, yeah, I was working as a junior doctor. I was one night, late one night, I was doing a night shift. I was on the high dependency unit and it was all very quiet. We don't use that word, do we? But it was. And, um, so I was sitting there having a cup of tea, talking to the nurses and I was talking about what I was into. And what I was into at the time was the idea of triathlon and the idea of Ironman triathlon. And but I was just really like felt heavy and not very happy with that. And I said to one of the nurses, I need to work more and I need to eat less. And she turned around to me and she went, really? Do you believe that? Uh, and I said, what? No, well, hang on, hang on. And then something happened. We had to go and deal with it. And that was the end of the conversation. But it stuck with me and I can remember it. I remember where I was standing. It just sowed this seed in my head. And yeah, I started to think, hmm, okay, what was that about? Which is really interesting. I don't know. I, I wish I'd been able to chat to her more because I don't know where that came from or whatever. But then not long later, I was expecting my um, second daughter, I think. And again, moaning uh, this time to my big brother who said here's a book you might be interested in reading it was um the diet delusion by gary Taubes in the u.s it's uh good calories bad calories and uh i absolutely devoured it i swallowed it up even the second half with all the biochemistry because obviously having started out life as a biochemist that was all oh, i love all this stuff but i can honestly say for nearly 10 years i did that half-assed start on Monday, fall away by the Wednesday, Thursday, because, and I think that, that at the time, because like, he, he, I think that was 28, 2008, 2009, that was published. And, you know, there weren't the online forums, there weren't the fabulously keto podcasts to listen to, there weren't the, I mean, you know, Jackie and I, we were on a, a, a call last night with some like-minded peeps for well over an hour chatting about this stuff, that wasn't there. And what was there? There was Robert Lustig's video. There was Peter Atia being increasingly bananas. Um, and that was about it. And so I just, I just felt like I was the only one. Me and Gary Taos were the only ones <laughs> who believed any of that stuff. So it took a very long time. And then in early 2018, when I'd reached my highest weight, I was well, like, I was probably not far off 17 stone, which is a good 230 pounds. Uh, I was skiing or rather snowboarding with my family and I couldn't, I fell over and I couldn't bend forward to undo the bindings uh, on my snowboard. I just physically couldn't reach my feet and I thought, oh, this is not good. Something's got to change. Um, and for me, that was the moment, that was the, the, the flicking of the switch. And of course, at that point, 10 years later, that was the point where now I could go and listen to the likes of the two keto dudes and um, Daisy Brackenhall with her Keto Woman podcast. And those were the sort of two mainstays in my daily daily dose to help me. And people were there talking about this stuff. And people on Twitter were now talking about this stuff. And I, I suddenly had this um, 
this army of other people about, which now I've come to mm. realize is just so important for me personally. Um, but I think for so many other people as well, that validation, I guess, that I'm not completely wrong. Cause especially when, you know, working in medicine, that was just, um, heresy to say that eat less, move more was, was, was a bit dodgy. And that nurse, that yeah. nurse, you know, she, she, she sowed a seed and I'm grateful to her. Very grateful. But it took a while. It took a long time. Yeah. Well, we all have to do, go through our journey to get to the point where we just have to change. Something has to give. And you were lucky you found a good way of doing it. Yeah. And of course, there's lots of different ways, aren't there? <laughs> um, but yeah, there's certainly a, um, I, I, yes, sustainable. And I do want to say sustainable because it's certainly the most sustainable thing that I've ever done. And I remember fairly early on being at my parents' house and then saying, you know, you've never been able to keep weight off this long. This is really great. Tell me what you're doing. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting because it's really, as you said, your journey, you know, of many, many starts, you know, weekly, mm-hmm. weekly starts, but it's about that contemplation and pre-contemplation and you were actually, you know, the, in 2006 on that night shift, you know, there was that, that first switch. So you went into that pre-contemplation mode. So it basically, you know, got, got you thinking some more and it wasn't until Gary Taubes in 2008 that it moved from pre-contemplation to contemplation that the action, the the sort of the actionable sort of steps to be able to cement all of that, you know, took the time it took, you know, which was probably, as you said, you know, a good sort of many false starts yeah. over that time. But it stuck, you know, in 2018. And that's unfortunately when you broke your arm. Yeah. So that's sort of... But then I broke, you know. I broke my arm because I was being more physically active because I'd got to that point because, you know, so, yeah... You know, I, actually, I think that, um, so for me, the fact that I was, I was overweight was my only real issue. I had a bit of, a bit, I guess, it's like being a bit pregnant, but I had a bit of PCOS, um, in that there was a, a little bit of a, an overlap there. I was getting fatter and I had that, but it didn't affect my fertility. We had the girls when we chose to have the girls, which was great. Um, and it didn't stop me doing other things. I was playing rugby. There's a lot of big girls play rugby. You know, these things, it didn't affect me. And I think had it, had these things affected me more in other ways, then perhaps my trigger might have come earlier. But my trigger was just, I was too big to snowboard. And that was, that was enough then for me to, to sort it out. And then, and then I, at the same time, I started, uh, started going back to do martial arts. And that's a, a huge incentive for me to, sort myself out mm. but the idea you being obviously you know medically trained with biochemistry and obviously with with medicine you were well aware of those health risks you know the fact that you were what's on the horizon with going from being overweight to obese to obviously to the next category you would were well aware of the implications for that yeah absolutely i think there's a fair bit of cognitive cognitive dissonance there the whole it wouldn't it won't happen to me it's not going to happen to me kind of idea is in most of our heads i think when it comes to a lot of things it's a protective mechanism isn't it for for many things it's not going to happen to me but it doesn't really protect you at all (laughs) no and we've all done Mm. that 
you know, thought, oh, I'm all right. I'm all right, Jack. Yeah, do you know, the other thing is that I didn't even recognise in myself that I was getting bigger. You know, I just go and buy another bigger pair of trousers. You don't, I don't know, I didn't recognise it until I saw photographs. A lot of people are the same. You see that, they're like, well, I was on holiday and someone took this snap and I was horrified. And uh, even now that still gets me. My um, my instructor took some photographs of me the other night and shared them with me and I was like, that's not going any further. I'm <laughs> still not happy with that. Um, yeah, I, I it, think it creeps, it does doesn't creep. it? And it, well, that's the thing. Like, I didn't, I didn't suddenly get to that weight overnight, and I didn't realise. And of course, nobody around me telling me because nobody tells anybody else that maybe they've got a problem. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because here in Asia, there is obviously they're very upfront. You know, they they will tell you you're fat, and it's really hard because you know it's it's a challenge being obviously a white anglo woman being here in southeast asia where they're all so petite so i can't go to a department store because i get sent to the obese woman sort of section you know that's that's quite confronting yeah just a cultural yeah. nuance that they will tell you you're fat you've got fat arms i think my mother might have once or twice told me that my hips were a bit wide or something <laughs> but that's about, that's that's good about for childbirth <laughs> childbirthing hips okay, your grandchildren i don't yeah i don't think otherwise we ever had that conversation i mean i, I think it, yeah. it would come in other kind of ways like maybe you should have a salad tonight or that sort of thing but of course you just dismiss those like yeah yeah okay okay i did anyway mm. I, I just again i think that had had it been affecting me in other ways and actually looking back it did like it did stop me doing going on you know doing like 10k runs and things like that because a lot more because i couldn't be bothered you know whereas now my mindset on that's completely different so maybe maybe Mm. it did affect me in those ways but not not to the point where i realized (laughs) and did something about it yeah so you've now stopped being a doctor yeah tell us a little bit about that and your reasoning for stopping when i had my kids which was the first couple of years after i graduated which was 2006 um 14 years ago tomorrow in fact the first one um my i took some time off because they were so close together i took i took a fair bit of chunky time away from medicine and i'd already gone into it late because i'd done a degree before uh in the uk we don't have to do that but i did um and I'd come from England to Scotland, so I was, again, doing another year's worth of work. So I was getting on when I went to study medicine. So then I had my kids. I had some time off. And then I went back because I had this massive chip on my shoulder that I hadn't finished when I started. So when I went back, um, I went back part-time because I had the kids. And it just started to um, started to grate a little bit personally. In it's It's an all-or-nothing kind of career. And I was starting to get a bit grumpy about a lot of the situations I was finding myself in. Uh, first, firstly, very personal in, in terms of what well, we're talking about health, aren't we? I just really, really struggled with the hours. I was finding my just completely being thrown off by night shifts and late shifts and working goodness knows how long and then expecting to go to theatre the next morning and what have you. And, um, you know, be responsible and I just I really really struggled with that I think that was one of the issues that I was having health wise you know we do know that shift work and these sort of patterns do affect us 
terribly. You know, people who, nurses, anyone else actually who works night shifts, who has these horrendous patterns that throw off their um, circadian rhythms are more at risk of the likes of obesity and type 2 diabetes, etc. I don't need to have to, um, you know, list the long list. We know the, we know this yeah. is, a, is a factor. And, and worse, and worse if you're changing from day shifts to night shifts. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they sort of say, oh, well, we, you know, we mitigate it by, um, doing this changes and that changes, but I think there's, it, it's not enough. And it, it, and I just really, really struggled with that. Some people just find it absolutely fine. I didn't. I found it really hard and it affects your other, it affects the other parts of your life. You know, I don't want that to lead to divorce or my children having issues. And there was a, a year where I was working quite a long way away and I was doing 12 days, sorry, 12 days on, two days off. So work for two weeks, have a weekend. And I was just coming home and sleeping for two, two days. And my kids really started to find school quite hard. Things were just going wrong. So that was a, that was a problem. That was also when I was starting to put on the weight. So, you know, there's maybe a bit of a connection there. Hospital food isn't exactly um, conducive to a long, healthy life, ironically. <laughs> um, so there was that. And then when I started to get into the idea of health and wellness and longevity in, in these terms that we're talking about now, I started to realise that the medical, the whole medical paradigm was really getting on my ample bosom. <laughs> and uh so yeah okay so there's just one one time i was so all junior doctors work in uh on a surgical ward and others in their first couple of years so at one point i was a really junior doctor working on a surgical ward and it was a factory and it was a factory of people coming in with cholecystitis so problems with their gallbladder coming in a few weeks later to have it taken out it was just a factory of that and a factory of people my age with my issues, you know, female, fat, 40, etc. And one day, so, so the junior doctors stay on the ward and deal with all the ward things and the surgeons go off to do their thing in theatre. And then everyone gathers at the end of the day to go through everything that's been going on, to look at scan results, make decisions for the next day. And when we were all gathered one afternoon around the results page on the, on the screen, and we had a huge number of people who'd come in with cholecystitis who were going, all oh, right, we're going to get their gallbladder whipped out soon enough. I said, this is a bit mad, isn't it? Why aren't we doing anything to prevent this? And every single surgeon in the room turned around and looked at me just blank stares. And I was like, well, I don't get what causes it. And they were like, well, neither do we. <laughs> we just take them out. And I thought, I, don't, I can't believe I'm hearing this. Like There was no suggestion about how we might deal with this. Whatever that might have been, there wasn't one. And I know surgeons surgeons cut things, that's what they do. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I was surprised that nobody cared about the idea of preventing any of it. That, that, that all around the world or the UK or the Western you know, societies, all these people are just walking around waiting for their cholecystectomy. Like it's a normal part of life. I just found that really bizarre. Um, yeah, I had um, collars. I had gallbladder attack three weeks after a cesarean birth with twins, and I went privately to a, a, must have been a surgeon, and he said, "We'll just take it out." And I was already on a path of my body is my body, and I don't want pits cut out of it, and I'll do whatever I can holistically. 
So I said, well, what other options are there? And he said, well, there aren't. And I thought, hmm, I've just had massive caesarean um, and they want me to have another. I was trying to breastfeed, not successfully, but I was trying. Um, and they wanted me to have another operation. And I just thought, no. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to go away and try and find another way because I don't really want another operation at the moment. And and they said, but we could do keyhole. And I know that keyhole doesn't always end in keyhole. And um, and I just said, I'll, I'll, I'll come back if I need to. And I just went away. And I could not find any other solution to to doing it. But I just pushed through and used um, acupuncture, kinesiology, liver flushes, um, I didn't know what to eat. I was eating really low fat stuff. I was living on ham and green beans, basically. Um, but it did ease and I did get through it. And then around, so that was in 2003, took me about seven or eight months to clear it. And then I was fine until 2010. And that was after my dad died and I'd eaten. I know exactly where I was. I was in Spain. I'd eaten um, egg and chips. And then it started again on the flight home because that was just before a flight and I had to deal with it all again. Um, but again, I just kept doing what I was doing, cutting out the fat, cutting out the cheese, cutting out the eggs. So it did get me through it. But now we know that a lot of it is down to not enough fat in your diet. So I was handing out these sheets, well, you know, people going home and on the way out the door, they were saying, what do I do now? And I'm handing out these sheets that say things like, Take your toast and spread your spread on your toast and then get a knife and take it off again. I mean, that, oh man, that was, that one sticks in my head. But I, I, even at the time, I was thinking, this is bonkers. I didn't have a solution, but I just remember thinking, this is bonkers. So, so yeah, I, I had, I saw those conversations all the time, the sort that you were having there. Because that's, you know, that's what surgeons do. I get it. They cut things. I said that. <laughs> I get it. Totally. But, you know, I know you, you were talking to Robert Cyrus the other day. He's a surgeon. They can have their minds changed, can't they? Um, yeah. But the, the other thing, of course, I then moved on to all the other, I went around all the other departments and I um, ended up in orthopedic surgery. And the same thing was happening again in the Okay, not the trauma side of things. The trauma side of things, I am absolutely super grateful that these guys took me and filled my arm up with metal and now I can use it again. And, you know, that's wonderful. But on the elective side of things, I was working in a ward where, again, it was a conveyor belt. It was a factory of people coming in who had hip, knee, shoulder problems, uh, younger and younger and younger. The average age was said to be about 65, but it felt to me like it was you know, getting younger and younger and younger. And people coming in with arthritis needing joint replacements. And not only were the people who were coming in in a bad way in terms of having multiple problems of obesity and the, the, the problems of metabolic syndrome, their families were all coming in. And I was watching the families coming in in twos, threes, fours. You know, often two of them would be on sticks. They were having obesity problems. There were two floors in this department where I worked and my office where I sat was opposite the elevator. And so I just see them all coming in and nobody would take the stairs. Everybody would just get in the lift and go up. And, and I just sat there thinking, you're next. 
I'll, I'll see you next year. Kind of, it was just painful. It's painful to watch. And I'm not saying that not everybody needs arthroplasty. I just thought that we needed to look at it in another way. And when I started to bring this up again, I just get, I just got these blank stares. Just people like, what are you talking about? It's what we do. We're really good at replacing hips now. Look at all this kit we've got. Um, and I was just getting more and more frustrated with that. I could see that there were the occasional paper out there of people that had used low-carb diets to prevent arthritis, to prevent people having to go for um, uh, operations. But also there's this issue of the post-operation um, recovery and the ability to get out the door and get going again quickly. And neither of those things were ever, ever discussed. And yet we had this long waiting list. People had first come along and say, I've got this problem. And the answer is, we'll put you on the waiting list for a surgery. And in the meantime, you've got 18 months where you could either sort something out so you can maybe even prevent the surgery, or you could get into a good position where your post-op recovery would be optimal. You'd have less chances of infections. You'd be able to get out the door quicker and get going again quickly. And neither of those things were ever, ever discussed beyond, yeah, right, Suze, whenever I brought it up. And on one occasion, my boss said, look, we tried this once. We tried a waiting list initiative of trying to get people to lose weight or do something to help them recover better. And the problem was that so many people in the department then wanted in on it, including the dietitians, and it all went to pot and we just decided not to bother. And I just, oh, I, just this, I, can't, I don't think I can, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> just, and the, and then I can hear, I can hear the sort of voices saying, well, yes, but running away might not be the answer because the likes of David Unwin and I talked about Robert Cyrus and all the other doctors out there doing amazing things, but they were further up the ladder. They are further up the ladder. I didn't want to go and train and go through the training as a part-time GP in my 40s that was going to take six or seven years to get to that point. I just, it was, enough was enough. So on top of personal reasons and family reasons of just, you know, having to deal with family as well and also the fact that I was just becoming more and more and more incensed by what I was seeing in the hospital and I was going to say don't get me started on hospital food but since we're here before you go on to hospital food when you were doing your role in orthopedics were you seeing amputations for diabetes and things like that yeah absolutely yeah and um I even saw people with chronic, um, yeah, sorry, with, uh, you know, juvenile arthritis on, on massive, massive doses of, um, uh, of opioids and what have you. Massive, massive problems like that. And of course, since having seen what the likes of, um, Bill Michaela Peterson's been able to do, even that has made me think, goodness, what we could have done, what we could do for those people who were on doses of opioids so big that the pharmacists were coming to me saying, you've accidentally added another zero to this to this um, prescription. And I'm like, mm, no, no, that's how much they take. Um, so, yeah, there, there are a lot, a lot of um, diabetic uh, neuropathy and diabetic ulcers and uh, amputations as a result of diabetes, yeah. But I just wanted to connect the, connect the dots here because it was only just... In our recent episode that we interviewed Linda Fetke, and she was obviously saying about her husband Gary, an orthopaedic surgeon in Launceston, Tasmania, in Australia, saying, well, that's exactly what led to his, obviously, 
running with the Australian regulator in terms of the, the medical board because he was advising his patients to, you know, take a different approach. So in one sense, yeah, you, you did maybe have dodged a bullet and obviously, you know, where you are in your position, in your, your career, um, in your training, you know, it's perhaps you're going to take a different turn. Maybe your journey is a different, um, you know, still with the same outcome and still with advocacy, education to promote and prevent, but it's just maybe not chopping people's fits off. Maybe, and I think, you know, I say, I've, I said before as well that I tend to go quiet when I'm not doing well personally. But, you know, getting out there and being able to share my story and, and help, it's, it's maybe my way of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. The more of us doing that, the more people can maybe join in. And as I said at the very beginning, this wasn't available to me 15 years ago. And now it is. So maybe that's maybe that's my turning point. You reminded me actually it's mm. on my very last day, just before I was leaving, my one of my consultant colleagues who I was at medical school with, so he you know, that's how long it had been, he got that far and I was still a junior. Whipped out his phone, he said, You're gonna love this <laughs> And he showed me a picture of a lady who was sitting in a obviously a chair next to a hospital bed with her foot up on the bed, and he'd taken a picture of her horrendously gangrenous, horrible, diabetic, altered foot. And um, he tried to explain to me the operation that he was going to do. I mean, half of the foot was coming off. And he was very excited about that operation and what he was going to do. And all I could see when I looked at this picture was the fact that on the table next to her was an enormous pile of sweets and chocolates and what have you. Um, and I, I said to him, did you, did you take those away by any chance? Uh, and he went, what? What are you talking about? And I was like, the huge pile of sweets next to the gangrenous foot. Did you take the sweets away? And he said, oh, hey, you try. You try taking them away. I thought, well, she's hardly going to chase you up the corridor, is she? <laughs> so, uh, so that was almost, um, yeah. I felt a little bit like, yeah, okay. If, if we're not going to do that much, then I'm not going to be helping with the rest of it. Mm. so let's go back to hospital food <laughs> that's exciting i always I, I, mm, it's it's been a bugbear for a very long time because one of the jobs of a junior doctor is also to um respond to on the wards is to respond to issues that the nurses often find issues and bring them to you and say what are we going to do about this and a lot of the time those issues were blood sugar problems because People with diabetes, people who take insulin, coming into the hospital and are really thrown off back. Their normal doses aren't working. They're maybe given steroids, which sends blood sugars in all funny directions. And they're eating the hospital food and I'm having to constantly give, um, the answer is to constantly give this fast acting insulin. Oh, we'll just bring it down. We'll just bring the glucose down. We'll just bring it down. It's fine. As they're sitting munching into their, crap toast and jam and what have you that they've been given by the hospital and a hospital breakfast is the worst thing i just it, it makes me cry thinking about it um the the low-fat yogurts full of sugar the toast the terrible toast the jams the spreads not allowed butter not allowed butter because you know that's terrible stuff um you know the skimmed milk and and oh it's just the, the kellogg's cornflakes other, brand, other brands yeah. are terrible as well. Um, 
and that's what we were giving them. And then we were having to react. And then the nurse is like, why are the blood sugars going so high? Why is everything going so wrong? And I'm sitting there, you know, umming and ahhing over these files whilst the breakfast trolley is being wheeled past. And the connection's never made, is it? I was only ever once able to help one patient who had come into the hospital for a knee replacement, had a long waiting list and in the, uh, a long wait on the waiting list. And in the time that she had, she'd gone away and learned about keto. She'd come back four stone lighter, um, but still needed a knee replacement. And she came to, you know, she was talking to the nurses and said, how do I do this while I'm in the hospital? And they said, well, you need to speak to Susie. So they got me in. And, you know, there was, she wasn't allowed to keep the food that she'd brought in, which was not a huge amount, some bacon that she'd had. She wasn't allowed to put it in the fridge because that was against the rules. Um, and she had an avocado that was sitting there going fishy because she wasn't allowed to put it in the fridge because that was against the rules. And, um, I managed to speak to the kitchen and ask for some bacon and eggs and they did exactly that. But then I was told the next day not to do that again because we couldn't do that for every patient, you know. That wasn't possible, and that was just gutting for me. Mm. So I then had, because I said to you before, I broke my arm, and I had a few days in my own department. And uh, again, I was up against this horrendous menus to the point where, you know, the day after my operation, I think it was, I was asked what I wanted for breakfast, and I said, "I'll have a black coffee, please." And um, the nursing assistant got very upset with me that I wasn't eating because I wasn't going to heal if I didn't eat properly. And um, a nurse ended up coming over and telling me off because I wasn't going to heal if I didn't eat properly. And therefore, I had to have some toast, at least with spread. Um, I'm not going to say butter because it wasn't butter. I, you know, I and I just I was gobsmacked that they were thinking this way because I thought at this point in, involved in everything that I was involved with, that nobody thought that way anymore, um, which is very naive, isn't it? Uh so anyway, after that, I came away and I, well, I'd taken a picture of the menu and I tweeted that picture of that menu and said, look what they tried to feed me. And the abuse I got was incredible. Incredible. So I put it in two places. I put it on Instagram and I put it on Twitter. And the dietitians came at me. Mm. They were, oh, you know nothing. Bless you, sweetheart. You, you've had a rough time in hospital and you don't understand and maybe you don't realize that there's vitamin C in the orange juice and that's really, really good for you. So you should be eating that and um, listing things like that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't need that if I don't have the sugar that comes with it, you know. Um, but they were just so patronizing. Uh, and then the uh, same was happening on Instagram. So I had people who one of them had a um, one of them called herself an, an NHS student. So God knows what she was studying, but gee, she went for me. Um, I didn't understand what was going on with my body. I didn't understand because doctors don't study nutrition. And no, she was right on that count. Doctors don't study nutrition. And we talk about this all the time in the low carb world. But what doctors do do is work seriously bloody hard to study a lot of things. And we're quite good at it. So reading the papers and understanding and the biochemistry and all of that is not actually a massive leap if you give it the time of day. So I did have that understanding and I thought, this is just crazy. This is just a tiny little blip. This isn't the um, Gary Fetke or the, or the Tim, um, Tim Noakes. It's not anywhere near that. And yet the vitriol was bizarre. I, it, was, it was there and I was like, this is just craziness. What are we going to do? I don't know what to do. 
that's that's what mm. that's what people are fighting. Um, and, and David Unwin's answer is to smile and nod politely, and you know, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure I can always do that. Yeah, they're there, they're mm-hmm. there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the hospital food is a massive bugbear of mine. I don't know where to start because it's not simple. They, there are no kitchens anymore. It's all pre-packed and brought in and stuck in the microwave. And certainly where I worked, which was peripheral to the main hospital site in the city, um, there, there was no opportunity to, to look after people's um, nutrition. You know, nutrient-dense food, that's what you need. If you've gone and smashed your arm to pieces and you, you want to get back together, you need decent nutrients. You don't need to be stripped of them with jam and toast. But it comes... But it comes at a cost. Yes. Uh, yeah. So the cost, and that's the thing, it's a budgetary measure. It's one way that they can reduce the cost is to sort of do all of those allied health. And, you know, in dietetics um, is one department. You know, when you're looking at the actual sort of, you know, patient movements, you know, the orderlies, that's been outsourced. Security was outsourced. A lot of this maintenance was outsourced. So this is obviously a budget measure and if you want to tailor, as you said, tailor, you know, specifically for patients outside of, you know, the prepackaged food, that comes at a cost. Yeah. And nothing's gonna change until the eat well plate or whatever it's called, wherever you are in the world, um changes. It's all linked together, isn't it? And I you know, if you you're right, the eat well plates, the um the pyramid my daughters were taught that at school every year for the last five or six years and it's not changing and it won't change anything in the hospitals. It's all about money. It's all about some somebody. Um, uh, actually, the other thing as well is it's all very well having these attitudes that we need to change this in the hospital food. But if I tried to feed most people who were coming in for a hip or a knee replacement with what I was trying to feed this girl, eggs and bacon, eggs, bacon or <laughs> you know, fat, cream, these sorts of things. If I was going to try and do that, I'd probably have a backlash from the patient. I don't normally yeah. eat this because this isn't healthy. I want my cornflakes. I want my toast and my jam and my spread and my low-fat yogurt and my orange juice these are the things that we eat for breakfast because this is healthy this is what we're told to eat and therefore you know this is quite bizarre that you're giving me this stuff so actually it's not just it's not just from above i suspect that the vast majority of patients would probably um backlash as well because that's what we're still told and as i said before it's naive of me to think that everybody lives in this low carb low seed oil bubble but the vast majority of people don't most i would say yeah. i would say 97 percent of people yeah. don't if i was gonna hazard a guess at a percentage i'm just sort of picturing that patient you know that has just had their hip replacement and you know they get their bacon and eggs you know served up to them what are you trying to do give me a heart attack it's <laughs> exactly what they'd say isn't it yeah and i was just thinking you know an easy option would be there are no hospital breakfasts but can you imagine the uproar with that yeah, I mean, yeah, I people people are told to fast for five or six hours before a blood test or before an operation. And those that are on the list later in the day for an operation, they start getting mad because they haven't eaten for 12 hours. <laughs> so, yeah, that's um, we, we've got a very long way to go. And, yeah, I'm on the outside of it now, so I can't be in there 
affecting it in that way. But maybe there are other ways to still be banging that drum. Yeah. Well, we're all trying to do that yeah. now, just getting people aware. So what's what's the plan now? It's all it's all changed a lot in terms of Korea. You mean it's mm. all changed a lot for me because in 2019, when I was going through all of this, I decided that I needed to do something else as well, just to take my mind away. To I wanted to learn to write and to research in a non-clinical way because it's very specific clinical research and, and that sort of thing. Very specific way of doing things. Humanity is completely different. So I went off and did a master's in modern history while I was working in the Department of Orthopedics, um, which was good fun. And when I came away from that, I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. But we went into this lockdown situation. And uh, one thing I wanted to do was to prove how, you know, show how we could use social media to create communities and change and all the rest of it. My ideas were that I might use that to try and help people in this space. But I hadn't really proved that I could do it myself yet. So I went and I started putting my own, I started creating my own stuff out there online. And one thing I started doing was making history videos, history videos about medical history. And uh, about one line that I was doing was about the deaths of the kings and queens of England and Scotland, how they met their end, because they're wonderful stories to tell. And I started gaining an audience to the point where I've got just shy of a couple of hundred thousand followers uh, on TikTok and they watch my fun history videos. And I got a book deal out of that, which I just signed last week. So I'm I'm in the middle of writing that book. So, yeah, things have changed a lot in that regard. And it's really funny. I seem to have these two different lives online now and sometimes they cross over and somebody will see me talking on a podcast and they'll send it to me. <laughs> On the, you know, in the history, is that you? And I say, yes, that's me. And um, I don't really cross those cross those over. What would be really interesting, actually, would be what would be the response from all those followers to me saying, yeah, I, I don't eat carbs or seed oils. What do you make of that? <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to risk it? <laughs> well, this is it, isn't it? I mean, do I'm like, mm, well, that's a really good question. That's a really good question because it, it makes me think, well, um, it just questions my convictions, doesn't it? But it Yeah, so but when we interviewed Nick Norbitz, mm. he he was going off to medical school and he was saying he wasn't gonna be confrontational about it, but just pose questions that got people thinking. So that's what you could do. The other thing is about compartmentalising. You know, there's history Susie and then there's obviously there's low-carb Susie, then there's this other sort of, you know, mum you know, mum Susie and martial arts Susie. So yes and no. I, I do see that there is a, a nice way that we compartmentalise our life into different sort of chapters using the book metaphor. Mm -hmm. And there are ways that you can. I'm just thinking about how the um, the you know kings and queens you know ate grains and they had like sort of dental caries and they got infected and they lost their teeth. So you can tie things in together using the history historical references to you know to grains and you know industrial sorts of processing of food. So there you know there's there's maybe ways that you can sort of you know just out of curiosity weave things in there are ways that i do do that now and again i make little quips or little comments and i and i wait and i see what sort of responses i'm going to get and it is it is fascinating actually you know I, I don't know i just quite often i get asked on there how i'm 
people think I'm like early in my early twenties. And I don't know how that is because I certainly don't feel it. <laughs> but they say, Oh, I didn't realize that you were in your forties. And I say, Yeah. And they say, What's your secret? And I'm like, Well, <laughs> most of the time I just say, yeah, yeah. Most of the time I just say soap and water. But then if I say something like lots of saturated fat, um, you know, something like that, people, they go, Yeah, right. <laughs> I have to explain myself. It's very funny. Yeah. It gives us pause to to think about how we, you know, how your new platform can actually send, you know, to help you to project those sorts of messages. And can you sort of see that you can start up another TikTok channel, you know, where there's obviously, you know, keto Susie, you know, in that in that sort of way. So, you know, the fact that you're really, you know, it's a, it's a young person's game, you know, that you're using the medium, but it has broad reach and appeal. So there may well be a future TikTok channel, you know, that you can obviously look at using the same sorts of principles to, to get the message out. There may well be. And I think I'd like to have a think about how I can bring that together with the, um, you know, the fitness side of things, which is important to me as well. Dr. Kevin has a channel. Um, Dr. Kevin Gendro has a, has a channel and he has how many followers, Jackie? He had I like 300,000. I think it was a... Similar to Susie, two hundred odd thousand. Yeah, TikTok is really yep. um, it's a very good way to 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 find a, a lot of people at the moment. At the moment, because it'll change. Um, you know, it's sort of it's just having its day at the moment. And if you're in there doing it, you've got a chance. And that's what I saw in the beginning. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's definitely a, if you, if if you're wanting to get out there and reach a lot of people. And yes, the audience is younger, but because of the way the algorithm works, actually, I don't see a lot of the. I don't see any of the 14-year-olds in bikinis dancing around in their gardens. Like, I don't see any of that because I tend to watch other stuff. And the algorithm figures out what's what you're into. And um, uh, instead, it tends to show me a lot of, you know, kids doing martial arts. <laughs> it's probably no better. But, um, yeah, it just figures out what, you, figures out what you're into and, and shows you. So I do get, I do get a lot of, um, I do see the other low-carb keto peeps on there. Uh, yeah, Dr. Christian Assad has a big following on TikTok. Yes, he's bonkers as well, but fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is a theme here, isn't it? I haven't, I haven't really got into TikTok. I just cannot get my head around it. But you know, maybe I should try and persist and at least watch some videos. I'm Jackie's the moderator, so she can do that. But I'm the abstainer. So when it comes to things that are compulsive, that have, you know, that, that lend proud. yourself to a... Oh, oh so there's Jackie. You just turned TikTok on. TikTok already. <laughs> she couldn't help us. Um, see, that's how compulsive it, it is. is. It just lures you in. It draws you in. But this is the thing, and I, I did see something about the algorithm that it does actually quite sort of shape you. And um, on Australian... ABC, um, Australian Broadcasting Commission, ABC News, they did actually have a, a, a cautionary tale that people that are into obviously Fitzbro and how TikTok actually sort of gives, you know, was leading young women particularly um, to eating disorders because of the algorithm. So um, I have enough confusion in my life. I don't need some other sort of, you know, evil manipulating algorithm to to not show me any more cat videos i love a good cat video but yeah it's a real um 
double-edged sword, isn't it? Because on the one hand, we're talking about how we can get out there, how we can reach people, how we can make the most impact, how we can be found and, and how we can find others. And the answer to that is social media. But on the other hand, it has a grip on us. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to deny it. It's pretty, um, it, it's addictive. And it is, as you say, it, it's, it's controlling in that way. And we saw that a couple of days ago, didn't we? When Facebook went down, you know, Instagram went down, WhatsApp went down, and we all lost the plot for a few hours. And uh, it was interesting. I think the time for that was actually, sorry, the time for that was in the middle of my night ah, because okay. I didn't, obviously, yeah. So I was, I was very lucky here. Passed you by. You know, Southeast Asia. Suddenly mm. everybody was on TikTok. My view account and following went up. <laughs> Loads. I was like, oh, this is fab. Keep this going. But yeah, on the one hand, we have to accept that if we want to get out there and be seen and meet people and do this that that's what we have to use but on the other hand we have to be very very aware of of the nature and the controlling nature of it and and, and I, I you know what i um block a dietitian a day on tiktok because they come up on my feed and they say things that just drive me potty um they're usually very young they usually look very good they usually haven't been through the last 40 years that the rest of us have been through. And um, and they're saying things that I think, frankly, are dangerous and that I just block them. Mm. And, and it hasn't figured out because the problem is you have to go onto their profile to block them. I think the algorithm's thinking that I'm interested because I've gone onto their profiles. But there, there's a lot of them out there. And, of course, there's this, this, this thing on TikTok where you sort of have, you're able to what's called stitch and do and take other people's videos and then put your spin on it and that's what a lot of them do they take a video of somebody who's advocating uh, a low-carb lifestyle and they'll try and tear it apart and um, that's very very sorry that's that's why I did that um, fiddling with my microphone uh, that's very very frustrating but that you know that's the same everywhere isn't it that's the same on Instagram and Facebook and you know you're up against you're up against these people who have other ideas about what they're doing that haven't changed for the last 30 years, even though we're all getting fatter and sicker. Mm. Yeah. I think as that's a key point. Fatter. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, as you said, it's that double-edged sword, that the, the fact that it's a necessary evil in order to, to get your brand and it's the branding and the marketing and the platform and the voice that you know, has the reach for, for the messaging. However, as you said, you know, the messaging for, you know, some folks have obviously, according to particular guidelines, but yet our lived experience is different, you know, and it is the sorts of two, um, the tension between the, the two competing um, voices and it depends on whose stick is or whose voice or whose hammer is, is you know, louder, bigger, stronger. That was one of the things that for a while there actually was beating me down, <laughs> that stick, because I was so overwhelmed by all the scrapping and the arguments and the to and fro's and what was going on and who was right and what was happening. I really got caught up in all of that. And my answer to that was just, oh, whatever, I, you know. And, um, and so there can be quite, <laughs> there can be just too much of it at times. Yeah, definitely. And so... Susie, you said that you've been on and off and on and off keto, low carb, and that more recently you're back on and 
other not like the previous time we were doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe Thursday, and then being off, you're more on plan. What changed and how have you managed that? I think this time round, I really needed to get to grips with other things. And I think that quite a few of us go through this, don't they? That in the beginning, you start a low carb plan and everything's going really well. And then after a while, it, you start to realize that there's other things that affect why you eat and what you eat. And not just that, but your sleep patterns, your daily routines, all those other things are, are just as important. Um, and so I really started to think about what my triggers were, what was going to derail me. Uh, there are things that derail me regularly. <laughs> um, my monthly, my monthly cycle always derails me. Um, visiting family, that's a big one birthdays, things like that. So I had a real good think about what my triggers were and how I was going to plan and litigate. And that's made a big difference. And actually the word in there that's most important has been plan because I've always been very against meal planning for the week. I've never done it. I've always just been a bit more, let's go to the supermarket and see what we can find kind of girl. And that has changed when I started to plan what we were all going to eat made a massive difference. Who knew? Um, <laughs> so planning in that way and building in the morning and a daily routine has been huge. And, and in that as well. So sorry. what is your morning? What is your morning routine? I wake up now the kids because we moved further away from school <laughs> during the lockdown. The kids now have to get up and go to school and be out the door about 25 to eight. So um, we throw them out the door then and I I don't eat. I fast. Generally, I have a 19-5 pattern of eating. I've just fallen into that, really. I don't have to push that. I'm not interested in breakfast. I have a black coffee. I do like my coffee. I've cut back on that in that I'll just have a morning coffee and then move to the decaf for the rest of the day. I think that's made a big difference. I am crazy enough to have a daily cold shower now which from day one made a difference from day one. So how did you, uh, I'm going to, because I'm interested, I sometimes think about doing mm -hmm. this and I do a little bit and then I stop. How did you get going with that? I can't remember what started it particularly other than I've just been listening to a lot of podcasts recently going on about the benefits of cold thermogenesis and, um, uh, you know, this brown fat and all these things. And I, had decided actually I had a, a hundred days, which I know that that'll sound familiar to you too. Um, I had a hundred days. Actually, I had a hundred days from when I started to my black belt grading, which is in December. So I thought those hundred days, I'm going to do everything, um, within my power to shift some fat, get leaner and do everything I can. And one of the things that always comes up is how cold thermogenesis can help with weight loss, help with because you're, you're, you know, you, pushing those um sorry because you're um pushing the mitochondria to produce uh, heat in in reaction to the cold um so that was i just decided one day i was going to get up and do it and i lasted a few seconds and i crept in like i started with my ankles and then it was like i put my calves in and then i managed to get under and i was out and i thought there's no way in hell that i can get in there for more than 10 seconds ever it's not going to happen these people are completely mad they've got a screw loose i don't know what they're talking about 
So that was that. But then I thought, as I was getting dressed, I thought, oh man, I feel really good. What just happened? Um, so it was a revelation. And I, I, I tried again the next day and lasted 30 seconds. Um, obviously had to, to really control my breathing. The next day I was in there for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. Now I just step into a cold shower when I get up in the morning. And the thing about it is that I have a shower every morning. So it's not like I can chicken out or forget or whatever. I'm doing it anyway, so I just go and do it. Uh, I feel really good for having done it. And I think... So, sorry. So um, do you, you don't have a warm shower and then turn it to cold? You just start straight off with cold? I'm not sure I could do that. <laughs> Why do you? Not so long ago I was saying I couldn't have a cold, so you never know. But no, I just I just step into the cold. And then sometimes I then turn it to hot and have a really super hot shower afterwards. And sometimes I just step out and uh, go and get dressed. So, um, yeah. Uh, so do the, what are the benefits? Do the cold. But apart from feeling, apart from feeling good, what other benefits have you noticed? Uh, there's a couple. One is that in the last month I've lost a stone. <laughs> I've lost, ditched 14 pounds. That is on the top of doing everything in my power to do that. So there's all the other things as well, of course. Um, but it's part of it. I'm sure of it. Um, I feel less creaky and achy. Again, that's probably just all part of it. Um, I'm also wandering around in a t-shirt more. I lit the fire yesterday and I don't really know why because then I sat in a t-shirt for the rest of the day and it got too hot. So I've noticed, I've noticed that already, it's maybe like four or five weeks, I've noticed that I'm feeling more, less, less ooh, shivery when I'm sitting, not moving at my desk, which is probably really good heading into a highland winter. Um, yeah. So I think that, that there are definitely physiological reasons for feeling better, but there's also the, just the really smug feeling of having been able to do it. I, I was asked by my husband in the first week if I could not do it when he was on a Zoom call with work because the monkey noises coming from the bathroom were a bit much. <laughs> I, uh, I, I am tempted to try again. I have tried it the other way around, as in having a hot shower and then turning the cold on and just running the cold on my belly but I didn't do any more than a few seconds and as soon as it's chilly out I don't feel like I want to do that but maybe having a cold shower first and then finishing with warm might work. I'm just really confused being like living in a hot and sweaty country you know cold showers are, seem like a really good idea but I'm already hot and sweaty menopausal in a hot and sweaty country. I just don't know if this idea about having a cold shower is going to really, you know, what are the benefits? Be, given that you're already warm, like it's warming you up. I don't want to be more warm <laughs> in a hot and sweaty country menopausal. I see what but you mean. May, maybe it would balance your internal thermo genesis or whatever you're feeling you know that how it regulate your temperature more homeostasis i couldn't um i couldn't wax lyrical on the biochemistry behind that but i'm sure there would be something in that yeah but there's also of course the idea of um the the heat as well and saunas etc doing the same in the opposite direction but um i haven't installed a sauna yet so <laughs> I say yet because I keep on mentioning it. But. Yeah, I keep thinking, where could I put one? We've got this. I just have to. I just have to step out on the balcony. Yeah, I'm not jealous at all. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. I'm doing that, and then um, I 
have some sort of meditative practice, which is either the breathing before I get in the shower or while I'm in the shower, putting up with the cold. And I write morning pages, thought download, a bit of gratitude journaling. I do it every single day. And I, I don't, I, again, I just feel, if nothing else, I feel smug that I ticked the box at the end of it. And that's, mm. that makes me, um, good to go. I've also joined a, um, a writing group on WhatsApp. A friend joined me to that and she's just, it's just accountability. It's making, um, making us work. We're not allowed to talk until it's sort of 10 to the hour to on the hour. And then we can talk about our goals for the next hour. And that has made me really productive. So again, it's coming back to community and setting your goals with other people and accountability. That's something that I started to weave in as well. And even the last few days, I started getting up and taking the dog for a walk first thing in the morning, which is just something I have never done. So we'll see. I didn't do it this morning, to be fair. Big case of the CEO mm. this morning, but I'm, it has been happening, which is very unlike me. Yeah, sounds like you're making lots of changes in your life. Yeah, I mean, lots they say don't things. they do do things do things a little bit of a time. I think I think I just needed to shake it up. And just, yes, it seems a bit extreme to bring in loads of things at once, but you know, it's a big thing that I'm targeting in December. And I thought if I don't give it my absolute best shot, then I'll regret it. Yeah. But, Might have to start and join you because I'm about four months behind you on the black belt. You, so. you are. And, and it has been like that for the last few years that we, we tend to grade for our belts on the same weekends. I think I've always noticed that on social media and then, um, I've always just been lockdown happened. Yeah. Threw everything um, out. <laughs> it was just awful, but we, we kept going. We're still there. A lot of people have left our association and, uh, we're still going. So yeah. I said to Jackie the other day that it would be really just awesome to see us both with our black belts. And I'm really looking forward to that. So you're April. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. That's uh, all supposing we don't go into another lockdown. Yes, well, I'm in denial about that. <laughs> I've decided to ignore that completely and just make plans yeah. because what else can you do? Yeah, you've got to keep living. Yeah, absolutely. Did we did we cover everything with your new plans? Yeah, I think so. Because I yeah. kept interrupting you. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool. I'll get you into cold showers I'm, next. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to go. I mean, I have showers late at night. Like we, like after a hot and sweaty day, we have a we have a shower. In the evening, so um, okay, I'll give it a go. I'm going to give it a go. Maybe not too. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to make a task on my thing that I see it when I wake up. So it's a bit contradictory, this. But there's some people I've been hearing saying, "Don't do it too close to bed because it just wakes you up." And another saying, "Well, actually, it cools you down, which is really good for sleep." You know, a lot of people have chili pads and all that sort of thing. So um, it's it's, it does work in in that regard. I did look at a chili pad um, because. I sleep with obviously we run air conditioners all the time, so the the room like we I turn the air conditioner right down, but I, then I like to have my duvet, so like I like a heavier duvet, so I turn the air conditioner right down. So um, I looked at a chili pad, but that's yeah, that was very expensive to obviously to ship here to to Thailand. So yeah, they're expensive anyway, aren't they? They are, but. In addition to the shipping, so it's just not going to happen. But then, yeah, you just have to put up with the um, the hot flushes and things. So, which is again, it's a, it's a cyclical sort of thing. So you just got to ride through the the hot patch, and then the, I'm just trying to recover from 
you know, you, you get a good sleep pattern for you know, a couple of weeks and then move through that. I'm very, very grateful that one thing I've never had is trouble sleeping. So uh, lucky in that way. I never did. Wait. You wait. Just you wait. wait. Just you wait. You just you wait. I never had any problems Me sleeping neither. until. Is that right? Is that what? Oh God! Thanks for that. Yeah, I used to sleep twelve hours a day. I'd wake up in the night, uh-huh. go to the loo, come back, go back to bed, wake up, go to bed to loo. That I've always done that since I was in my early twenties. I think that was due to my operation, but I could sleep twelve hours a day, no problem. Ten was my ideal. Yes, and, I'm a 10 person. And now I go to sleep, I sleep for a couple of hours, I'm wide awake for a couple of hours, I go back to sleep. I, my book is open and closed all night long. You said that yesterday about how you not slept well the, the day before and reading and some reading and some just lying there. And last night I took some melatonin and I still was awake for a, an hour or so in the night. Ah, well, maybe a cold shower before bed's the answer then. <laughs> Yeah, I'll try it in the morning. This is my latest evangelical thing. I was talking to, um, who was I talking to? Daisy Brackenhall. And she said, yeah, but has this, has this routine been tested? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, all right. Whatever. Yeah, but she goes in the sea. <laughs> she does, yeah, very true. My, my husband did suggest going and jumping in the River Dee in the mornings. And um, my answer ended in off. But it might, <laughs> it might change. It might change as I become more, more adapted to this yes. silliness. Yes, yes, my sweet husband, I will push you yeah. off the jetty. <laughs> I've got a couple of taekwondo friends and they, that's what they do every Saturday morning or Sunday morning. They go swimming in a, in a lake, even in the winter. My daughter's I'd well like into to do this. It. I think I've, I like keep on thinking it. about it, but of course she's 13 now, so getting her out of bed's <laughs> not the easiest thing to do. Susie, how can people find you? I mean, you've spoken about TikTok. Where can they find you on TikTok? But other places on social media you can find me on tiktok at Susie edge which is s-u-z-i-e e-d-g-e all one word um and i i think i might start weaving some more of my other side of my life into that now so yeah i like that i'll do that as well uh on tiktok twitter at Susie edge as well and then on instagram i use edge Suze, so it's kind of the other way around e-d-g-e-s-u-z and uh, from there are all the links to all the other things that I do as well. So, um, yeah, those are the main places that I hang out and chat. Excellent. And, of course, you're in the Fabulously Keto Facebook group. I am indeed. That and big, big shout out to um, to uh, Dan as well, UK Local. I think what he's doing is fab as well as you guys. You know, it's just keeping it going, keeping pushing, friendly, useful conversations. It's great. It, it, it's it's what uh, it's what I've needed. Well, what we want to do now is impart some of your wisdom to the others. So, Sage Susie, um, just tell us what are your top three tips. Three, goodness me, that's um, I've only got two. I'll have to think really quickly. Uh, okay, so number one, I've always felt that it's good to remember that whether you try this new thing or not the time the week the month is going to come and go so you may as well just give it a go and see what happens because you know time just moves on really quickly and you could have tried it you could have tried that new thing you could have um cut this thing out that you think's bothering you or you could have jumped in a cold shower you could have just given it a go and as i say the the, the weeks are going to go by whether you did or not 
So that would be the first one. And the second one would be massive, and I've, I've talked about it a few times, would be community. I think that one of the reasons why I didn't get going with my low-carb journey in the first place was that perhaps it was a lack of community, although I didn't realise that at the time. When it came along, it really helped me enormously. And there are some, you have to find your thing that suits you. There are some groups out there that are really picky, that are keto police, that are quite aggressive. Um, and there are others who frankly just want everyone else to do well. And if you can find those and find the ones that you're part of, and then it won't be long before you're looking to help others. It really won't. And that's a great feeling when you can do that. Mm. And my third one would be um, when you get up in the morning, have a cold shower. <laughs> I'm gonna hold yeah. you. To, I'm gonna hold you to this now. <laughs> yeah, I've put it. I've put it in my. I've put it on my phone. So uh, when I look at my phone first thing in the morning, it's gonna say cold shower. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm. I'm looking forward to the um, abuse I'm going to get now online. With you. What are you talking about? That was horrific. It gets better. It gets better. I just have good. to. I just have to work at it. Yeah, a little bit each day. Everything's the same, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you very much. It's been really great fun catching up and chatting with you today. And it just feels like it just feels like yesterday that we were sitting in the auditorium in London and um, having having oh you know having that catch up that um, yeah long overdue. So it's been been absolutely wonderful. It has been great. I'm really sorry it took so long, but as you said, it gave us more of a chance to to tell more stories and to and to understand that things move on <laughs> things change things happen things affect us things get in the way we're not just a one trick one month pony we're you know life life goes on and has its ups and downs and we're all here to help each other yeah and you have to navigate through them and yeah. just do what you can when you can absolutely yeah. absolutely it's been great and then we you. got and then we got to got talking about cold showers as well which we wouldn't have done two years ago that's very true yeah very true indeed thank you for being with us thank you that's great thanks jackie it's really interesting when we reflect on when things don't go to plan and how we respond to those external triggers and responses that follow on from when those things don't go to plan. And some people, obviously, you know, it takes, as, as it did for Susie, doing the half-hearted keto and how that actually happened um, for her and the, the triggers and the momentum. And you lose such momentum and how hard it is to get back into those habits that, um, you know, certainly when things don't go to plan. Yeah, it's much easier to fall out of a habit of being eating healthily than it is to to get into it and to stay into it and i find having some accountability is really crucial and if you haven't got that i mean you've got andrew which helps but if you haven't got some sort of external accountability it can be really tough and your mind can play such games on you of um oh, I'll just have this little bit or I'll just do this today. But then it's really hard to pull yourself back. Sometimes, you know, you, we always talk about moderators and abstainers. And in a way, abstaining is, is the better way to be because that question doesn't come up in your mind. Shall I, shan't I, shall I, shan't I? So whilst I am a moderator, for example, 
I still quite often will abstain because I know how easy it is to get back in. And I think for me, having you and the group, the Facebook group and the podcast has helped me stay stay the course. And I noticed from last year, um, you know, through 2020, I did keep having off plan foods once or twice a week. And that's easy to escalate into doing it more and more often. So I know that during the week, I think you said, why do I do that? You sent a message and I said, I know what you mean. And it, equally, as you said, like, you know, Andrew is really good for external accountability and that works for me and my obliger and my habits and, you know, but equally so, he can become an echo chamber. You know, he can go, come on, you can have that, just that little bit. Come on, we can do that. So case in point was we restaurants are opening up. Uh, it's really lovely. We can actually go out and, you know, sit at a restaurant, whereas before we could only do takeaway. So we went to a cafe, a little French-style bistro, and, of course, they had the had the dessert menu. And it's like, I'm sure we can, we can just do one. And that was you know, it was that was a treat. And that sort of buys into how we go, you know, those stories that we tell ourselves. And I think that's where you were saying, that little voice in your head. So what are the stories that we keep telling ourselves that that give us permission that um Gretchen Rubin says that loophole thinking, we can just have one and that's fine and you know which is fine for us because we've been doing the alternate day fasting, so we went straight into a fast after after supper anyway. But that in itself is not that self-limiting, really, because we're going to be stopping that. So what are the stories that we keep telling ourselves that give us permission to drive, you know, to fall off the wagon, to go off plan, that gives us that, as you said, that permission um, without the accountabilities put in place. So if you can moderate, like you can, you know, I just, I'm in awe of your supreme superpower ability to do that. You know, that that's, that's fine if you've got the boundaries and rules. That doesn't work for the rebel. I can imagine the rebel in you going, oh, of course I can have one. No, I can't. Yes, I can. No, I can't. <laughs> Having, as Dave Wolf said, you know, the, the romance, the guilt and the debate. The debate, yeah. The debate, you know, that's that's the thing. So, but that's part of the stories that we keep telling ourselves and yeah. that sort of thing. So, I think it's it's really, really a testament to knowing yourself. I think that's the thing there about how resilient you can be, being mindful of those stresses that we have in our life. We're all going to have them, and nothing more than a global pandemic to, you know, to bring to the acuteness. Mm. absolutely and you know to be fair we have to be kind to ourselves but it's not for me i i I can't have that loophole you know it's that's you know every day i can't i cannot do that every day yeah i can't do it every day because i would do it every day and then i'd be back to where i was um four years ago Mm. and i don't want to go back there no and that's part of that why you know, and not forgetting that you don't want to be like you were four years ago, but you want to live to 107, Jackie. Yeah, yeah. Got to stay focused and mm, healthily to 107. Course. Yeah, seven. Yeah, stay, stay just, the course. Just yeah. travel along and fall off the cliff. <laughs> Go to sleep <laughs> just, one night and that's yeah, it. That's, didn't wake up the and, next day. And isn't that 
wouldn't that be a nice, that's a nice way to go. I think that's a, I, I would be happy for that. That would be a lovely way. Yeah, I have, um, so it's my dad's cousin by marriage and he, I haven't seen him for a long time because of the pandemic and I didn't want to, I would have liked to have gone to see him, but uh didn't go and see him because of, you don't want to put somebody that's a lot older in, in the situation. So um hadn't seen him for a couple of years, um, but we got message that he died um back in September and he died on his birthday and he was just sitting in his chair and he went to sleep. He was 90, what do I want to say, 98 or something like that. I can't remember exactly now, 97 to 99. And he just sat in his chair in the afternoon and closed his eyes and was gone. That's the way to go. That is perfect. That is, that is, a, that is a, happy, a happy, you know, end of a chapter, a nice way to go. Absolutely. So on that note, Jackie, um, Susie, thank you so much for, um, you know, showing us your resilience and how, how to, um, you know, to, to really overcome adversity. And I think that's sort of, you know, um, you know, a real testament to her strength and character of, you know, and we wish her all the, all the best. Of yeah. And, her, and, her vun- and her vulnerability for sharing that. Correct. And, and for asking for help. You know, she recognized mm. that she needed to ask for help which is very powerful in itself. That is very powerful, absolutely. Where can we get the show notes for this episode, Jackie? So the show notes are at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 063. Great. Thanks, Jackie. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter, our handle is fabulously keto or follow us on instagram fabulously keto one did you enjoy the show let us know you listened by tagging us in your insta story or instagram post using the handle fabulously keto one and the hashtag tfkp all the links are on the website and in the show notes If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors healthcare professionals or not they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship it's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes especially if you're taking medication